Uh, I'm just glad that you're here. I truly do believe that something special happens when we gather together as a church. The actual word church that we use, it comes from the Greek word ekklesia, meaning called out once. We believe that as followers of Jesus, like scripture says, God has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So now we, as a collection of called out ones, we have been sent out, right? That's what we call the great commission. We've been sent out with a purpose. So man, I just love the church. I love the gathered church, like what we're doing here. I love the scattered church. It's a beautiful thing to come together and to be able to worship God together for who he is, what he has done, and what we believe in faith that he will do. And I'm just glad that we get to be a part of it together. Amen. So this week, we are wrapping up our latest series. Like Andrew already said, we're wrapping up our series, Rethink Religion. It is no secret to any of us that many people have had bad experiences with institutionalized religion. And really, now more than ever, there is a need for new life-giving churches because people are leaving the faith at an alarming rate. I think I read a statistic that one out of three Americans identifies as a nun, meaning just no religious affiliation, not spiritual in any capacity. And that has changed drastically over the years. More often than not, people are not leaving the church because God is too loving or, or, or they've experienced too much forgiveness, right? They're leaving the faith because of, of hurt they've experienced at the hands of other people or maybe abuse or, or even simple misconceptions about their faith. So over the past few weeks, what we have been doing is we've looked at a couple different misunderstandings that people have, and what we're doing is we're challenging ourselves to rethink religion, to rethink our faith. First of all, the thing that we talked about first and foremost is that the God of the Bible is, in fact, who he says that he is. He is not a distant, detached, removed from our lives kind of God. He is a God that wants to be known. We believe that the all-powerful, infinite creator of the universe has revealed himself through the person of Jesus Christ, through his scripture, and through his Holy Spirit. Secondly, we talked about the fact that Christianity is not just a collection of pointless rules and regulations and restrictions that eliminate any source of fun from our lives. We talked about how the commands that we find within the pages of Scripture, while, I mean, honestly, sometimes difficult to deal with, what they do is they uncover this new way of living, this better way of living that God has for us that begins to unlock this this thriving, fulfilling life that we never could have imagined otherwise. Last week, what we did is we talked about how the work of ministry is not necessarily left up to the quote-unquote professionals. There's not some sort of wall or distinction that happens here between the pastors or the worship leaders and the laity, right? Clergy and laity. No, all of us have a purpose to fulfill. 
that you do not need to move overseas. You don't even have to go back to Bible college. And those things are great, and I would love it if you chose to do that. But you can unlock your God-given purpose right now in the present. As we begin to walk in the freedom that Christ fought for, he begins to reveal to us our purpose and how we can bring him glory through the gifts that he has given us. That we can live a fulfilling life of purpose right where we are at. Even at the job we might kind of hate. Even with the family that might kind of annoy us. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we like want our purpose to be over there so we can get away from where we are. God's like, no, I want you right where you are at. This week, what we're doing, we're wrapping up these series and kind of a culmination of all of these things. I believe that as a person comes to know God, as they come to find and experience true, lasting, life-giving freedom, and they unlock their God-given purpose that he has for each of us, they cannot help but live a life that makes a difference. And that's what we want to talk about this week, what it means to make a difference. One of the passages that we're going to be centered on this morning is found in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. I'm going to read through verse 16. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. It'll be up on the screen behind me. If you want a Bible, I want to give you one. So please, uh, if you want a Bible, please let us know. Um, wave your hand. Colin in the back can, can throw a Bible at you. Right? Has anybody ever seen that restaurant that like, when you want more bread at your table... You just raise your hand and they throw it across. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, right. Can that be everywhere that like anytime I want bread, I just raise my hand? That's incredible, incredible. We're going to do that with Bibles. Um, yeah, the bread of life. There we go. All right. Matthew chapter 5 says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Then Jesus continues saying, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all of the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Jesus, we worship you this morning. God, we, we, we pause for a moment and we reflect that this indeed, in fact, is a holy moment, that your presence is here in our midst. So God, we yield to you. We yield to the work that you desire to do within our hearts. God, clear us of any sort of predetermined agenda for this morning other than to just give you glory and to worship you for who you are. So Jesus, we thank you that you choose, you lovingly and intentionally choose to work through broken people like us. We thank you for the high honor it is to serve as your hands and as your feet. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work within our hearts, that you would transform us from the inside out, that you would enable our light to shine before others so that when they see the things that we do, they will give you glory. And we pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.
All right, I have a wildly embarrassing photo to show you. Uh, ooh, I can hear the wave of judgment that just swept through this place. Guys, this is a safe space, okay? I felt, I, I'm being vulnerable showing this to you. This wildly embarrassing photo that is behind me that I'm going to try not to think about is from my first YouTube video that I posted back in May of 2006. Woo! So if you, if you remember, this is when, so don't look for the video. It's hidden. Don't worry. I, you can't find it anymore. This is when social media was in its infancy. This is when MySpace was the place to be. Right? Hey, am I on your top eight? No? What happened? What's, I thought we were good. This is when Facebook required a college email to log into. You see, the, the internet was just like the Wild West back then, for those of us that remember it. There was no such thing as social media influencers. Uh, there was no such thing as like subscriber counts or channel analytics. Right? There was just like MapQuest and Ask Jeeves and Smarter Child on AOL. These are deep cuts for some of you. I'm unlocking a part of you you haven't thought about in a while. But over the past few years, in the explosion of social media, something really interesting has happened. In conversations with school-aged children, I've seen this happen a couple different times when you begin to ask them what they want to do, what their dreams and aspirations are when they grow up. You start to get some different answers than maybe you used to. It used to be, when I grow up, I want to be a firefighter. When I grow up, I want to be a doctor. Or in my son's case, I think he wants to grow up to be a duck. Or I don't know. I haven't gotten a straight answer out of him yet. But now when you begin to ask kids, what, what do you want to be? You start to get answers like, I want to be a YouTuber. I want to be a famous Twitch streamer. I actually was a part of a career day a couple years ago. I, 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 was, I went representing the world of worship ministry. Hey, maybe part of your career can be serving in worship ministry. And I was just like, don't do it. Don't do it. No, I'm just kidding. But part of the career fair, there was a person there that was a professional streamer. Like a valid career choice for these kids. I don't know if you have seen this happen, but I actually know a couple kids personally who have started their own YouTube channels, like reviewing toys. Uh, we have some neighbor kids down the street that love playing with our son every single day when he gets home from daycare, and they love slime videos. So every single time, I'm just like, hey, keep the slime away from his hair, please. It's so messy. But it's super cute to, to hear them say different things like, hey, YouTube, don't forget to smash that like button. It's just wild to me that kids these days are growing up with a deep desire to be influencers. Something that we really knew nothing about or couldn't really define what that was even just a few years ago. However, we can really quickly begin to see the dark side of this desire that that somehow if your life is not producing content, right, That's what you would call it. If your life is not producing content, then somehow your life is not a life worth sharing. That means that that nobody cares. It's not valuable. If nobody is paying attention, that means that you don't matter and you will never make a difference. 
Do you see how, how all of a sudden this begins to connect in some really potentially negative ways? I believe that this stems from our deep desire as humans to, to feel needed and known and to, to feel seen and to feel significant. And while some of you might have maybe a few more Instagram followers than others or, or maybe you've even been TikTok famous for a few days, most of us have kind of lived in this tension and have experienced what it means to just watch from a distance the highlight reels of other people's lives. The carefully curated highlight reels where they seem to, to somehow have more money, more free time, more friends, and more influence than we could ever dream of having. It can really start to make you feel like you, you're less than. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm like, it's not a good feeling. It's, it's not something that we talk about a lot. It, it can start to feel like the value of our identity is found in our ability to influence others. If I don't have a following, if I am not making a quote-unquote difference, I'm less valuable. My valuability as a person, as a child of God, is found in my, my visibility, We can find ourselves thinking in the, the, the depth of the night, staring at the ceiling as we can't fall asleep. God, I, I'm never going to be able to make a difference. I, I'm just, God, I'm a nobody. There's, there's nothing special about me. I'm not an influencer. This world is just so messed up anyway. What's the point? God, I'm never going to be able to change anything anyway. This morning, I need you to know that your very identity as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus, it carries with it a supernatural ability to impact and influence the world around us for eternity. Do you see the weight of what I'm saying? That the Christian experience is not just one that is lived in us. It is an experience that is lived in us and through us. So hear me out there. Our identity is not found in our influence. Our influence comes from our identity. I'm going to say that one more time. Our identity, who we are, is not found in our ability to, to somehow influence others or gain followers or, or make a difference just for the sake of doing something and keeping busy. Our influence comes from our identity and who we are and who God has created us to be. So let's jump back into scripture, into Matthew 5, and, and to begin to connect this to, to what Jesus is saying here. So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking to the multitudes in what has come to be known as his famous Sermon on the Mount. Now in the first, like following the first section known as the Beatitudes, Jesus makes bold statements regarding the nature of his followers. It should be up behind me in verse 13 says, you are the what? The salt of the earth. Yes, okay. <laughs> the salt of the earth. Look, I even put a line under it. There we go. You are the salt of the earth. I am? What? But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet or we know in Syracuse, put on the roads to melt the snow. 
Here, Jesus draws a direct comparison to salt of all things. You are salt. What? Why is Jesus saying this? Well, in those times, we need to know that salt was an incredibly valuable and important resource. In fact, salt was oftentimes used as currency or payment for certain jobs. Hence the term, if somebody failed to live up to their standards, they were not worth their salt. Even our English word for salary just means salt money. So salt is a big deal. We can actually see it in the history of our city, Syracuse, the salt city. It's something that we were known for. It was such a valuable resource that it literally changed the landscape of the city that we live in. Before modern refrigeration or or in places that didn't have access to ice or cold weather, salt was used primarily to preserve meats and other perishable foods. I know that you know this, but salt not only seasons food, right? For us white people in the building, it's the only seasoning we've ever known in our entire life, right? Salt? What else is there? I put salt on it. It should be good, right? Just kidding. I'm putting myself on blast there, right? I got noodles, some salt. That's that's it, right? It's butter. (laughs) Salt not only seasons food, It stops the decay or the corruption of something very, very valuable. So if somebody wanted to sell salt and they wanted to make more of a profit, what they would do is they would cut their salt with white sand or other substances to make it go further and to make more of a profit. However, this dilution of the salt, like Jesus talks about, it drastically decreases the saltiness and the preservative qualities. Okay, so we've talked about salt. Why is Jesus comparing us to salt? Well, let's talk really quickly about the theological implications of what Jesus is really getting at here. I believe that Jesus is saying that our salvation that we find in a saving relationship with Christ, what it does is it transforms us from being part of a decaying, corrupt, dying and diseased world And we now become salt. We become renewed into something different. We're transformed from being part of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Like Paul says in the book of Colossians. We now become living influences in the world. We carry with us the only hope. So Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth. And he challenges us, hey, Pay attention, don't lose your saltiness, that distinctiveness that you have with you, your ability to season and to preserve and to halt the advancement of darkness. So I believe that the church, one of our purposes, one of the ways that we, in fact, make a difference is to be a preservative of sorts in society. There's a pastor that once said that we as salt, we have to be rubbed into the world. We have to mingle. Even salt has to dissolve in order to do its work. He continues to say that the whole world is like a rotting, putrefying, relentlessly deteriorating carcass. Oh, wow. 
And we as the church, as salt, are the only moral spiritual disinfectant. We must influence the world and not be influenced by it. There is a sense in which this is a quiet witness. The power of the influence of a godly, righteous, virtuous life in your family, in your neighborhood, at your job, in your school. The power of our influence holds back the corruption to some degree. So do you kind of get what Jesus is saying here? You are the salt of the earth. In your very identity and who I have created you to be as a new creation, you hold with you the ability to, to preserve, to help defend from the advancement of the kingdom of darkness and evil in the world. So think of it kind of from a, a defensive perspective, right? But Jesus didn't stop there. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So here we need to understand that we, as followers of Jesus, we need to be more than just salt. We need to be light. Whereas salt is kind of this, this preservative that, that prevents the advancement of decay, what does light do? Light boldly goes into darkness and illuminates those dark and forgotten places. So think of light on the offensive. That same pastor that I quoted before, he said, salt is somewhat hidden. Salt works quietly. Light works openly, visibly, shatters the darkness. But salt cannot change evil into good. Only light can do that. There's no believing person who has made another person righteous by influence or example. Sooner or later, the light of truth must shine. He says, example alone isn't going to change the sinner. Salt, in a sense, is negative. It slows corruption. But light is positive. It displays the truth. It delivers from corruption. So we are salt in our character and light in our message. Verse 16 says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So I have a couple points that I want to make, but before we go any further, we need to understand that this concept of making a difference is not just about making a difference for difference's sake. It is about making a difference for the glory of God. Like scripture says, when they see your good works, they do not give us a high five. They do not pat us on the back and say, hey, you guys are all right. You're invited to the cookout. No, it's to give God glory. So our identity, what it does, it enables influence that should immediately point other people to Jesus. Salt being our deeds. And then light being our words and the truth that we hold to. I have three different things that I want us to remember as we chew on this passage throughout the rest of the week. Number one, we can't make a difference without being different. We can't make a difference without being different. The gospel is transformational by nature. Part of the Great Commission in Matthew 28 
just to read it really quickly, Jesus came to them, his followers, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So right here in this, this challenge that Jesus gives to his followers, we can learn a couple different things. We need to make disciples, and what does that look like? Not just baptizing people, but teaching them to observe all that God has commanded us. Part of our identity is being renewed by Scripture. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you might discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, church, we cannot change the world by being conformed to the world. In order to make a difference, we have to live differently. We cannot hope to make a difference by remaining the same. There's a beautiful verse in Scripture, Psalm 119, verse 18. I think I have it. Yeah, it says this, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. This is part of our faith, praying that God, open my eyes, change my heart, renew my mind. Make me different so that I can make a difference. Conform me, Jesus, to your image. We can't make a difference without being different. Number two, we cannot make a difference without first depending on the Holy Spirit. We cannot make a difference without first depending on the Holy Spirit. At the end of the Gospels, as Jesus was wrapping up his time on earth in Luke 24, he's giving this challenge just just moments before he ascends into heaven. He says, behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Again, we read in the book of Acts, while staying with them, he ordered them, his followers, to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait For the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. How wild is this? The men that literally lived alongside of Jesus, that traveled with Jesus, that ate with Jesus, that laughed with Jesus, that that cried with Jesus. They were told by him last minute, hey, you're not ready yet. What? If anybody is ready, it's got to be us. And Jesus said, no, you cannot do what I want you to do without the power of the Holy Spirit. He commanded them to wait, literally, hey, don't go anywhere until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, we cannot dream of making a tangible difference unless we are desperately dependent on the Holy Spirit and his moving and his leading. We can talk more about what that actually looks like at another time. There's a a whole sermon series in what that looks like to live a life dependent on the Holy Spirit. But we cannot dream of making a difference unless we are desperately hungry for the presence of God. And number three, I believe that God can use your dreams to make a difference. Now, please hear me out. This does not mean that that God bends to our will 
and that we tell God what we want to do, and he says, yep, you got two more wishes left. No. This means that God has already brought you into certain places in your life that he wants to use you to make a difference. So here are a couple questions. We actually talk about this a little bit in Growth Track. Who do you feel called to? What breaks your heart? Is there a certain demographic of people that, that when you think about them or maybe when you, you hear about them, you're just like, man, I just, I, I love these people. I always use my, my mom as an example. She grew up with a heart for people who are either deaf or hard of hearing, that whole community. And she just decided, you know what? I'm going to learn sign language. A couple years later, she's like one of the best sign language interpreters in our city. And not to brag, but she, like, she just interpreted for like Elton John and Paul McCartney and all these people at the Dome. And it's like, wow. But more than that, my mom has used that gifting to make amazing inroads and connections and relationships with the deaf community. God burdened her heart for these people that are so often overlooked and forgotten. He said, you know what? I am going to use you and your dreams to now make a difference. So one of our heart, one, one of like the dreams that we have here is to have a service, a worship experience that is accessible to the deaf community. It takes a lot of work, right? But God wants to use those dreams to make a difference. All throughout scripture, we see that God used people and their life experiences to turn around and make a huge difference, right? The apostle Paul was a mess. He was a mess. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the religious elite. But God didn't say, hey, none of that matters anymore. He said, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use those relationships, and we're going to shake things up a little bit. So I hope, church, I, I hope that you are now beginning to see all of this begin to come together. The, the, the past few weeks, and really our whole mission statement here at Thrive City Church, we do not want you to fall victim to just standing idly by and, and being lost in lifeless tradition or stale religion. We want you to experience what it means to have a life-giving, thriving relationship with Jesus. When we, when we say that, we, hey, we want you to experience a thriving life with Jesus. It means experiencing what it really means to know God. To know God personally and purposefully. To, to, to know him on an intimate level. Like a friend, like a father, like, like a Lord and a Savior. And as we know him and we, we experience freedom in our lives, we experience deliverance, sanctification, the process of becoming more and more holy, becoming transformed from the inside out into a new creation, conformed to the image of Jesus. It means unlocking our God-given purpose, learning how to use our gifts that he has given us to bring him glory, and ultimately allowing all of those things to work together. My relationship with God, the freedom that I now walk in that Christ fought for, the purpose that he has given me, my life cannot help but make a difference for the glory of God and the good of our city. Church, do you see how exciting that is? It gives us something to live for. All, I hear it all the time. People are like, what is the purpose of church? It just seems so boring. Church, it changes everything. 
Being a part of a life-giving church, it changes everything. As we focus on God, he just does the unimaginable. He changes the hearts of his people. Nothing will change your life like seeing other people's lives changed. It is a wild experience. So here, we want to commit ourselves to being a church that makes a difference. Now, this does not mean preaching a a strictly social gospel, that all we want to do is feed people or clothe people. Those things are great. But remember the priority. We want to help people come to know God first and foremost. Jesus is our message. People are our priority. We want you to know God, to be in a saving relationship with him. We want you to find freedom, discover your purpose, and then make a difference. We want to be a church that strives to see the whole picture, body and mind, soul and spirit, leading people on this journey to experience a thriving life with Jesus. As we close our time together, we're going to sing one more song. And as we do, I just want us to take some time for for some self-examination, right? You need to know, if you don't know this already, that like you, it's actually okay if you don't sing during worship sometimes. If you don't raise your hands, like those are all great things. And a lot of times it's, it's kind of like our signal of like, yes, God, I am, I'm, I'm engaged in what I'm saying. I believe what I'm saying. But sometimes God wants us to just stand still for a second, to examine the depths of our heart. God, what are, what are, what are you doing inside of me? What do I need to address? What do I need to change? God, what, where are you leading me? And so if you need to just sit down, if you need to walk around the edges of the church and just sit in silence while we sing this last song, please feel free to do that. But I want all of us to examine our lives. God, do I even know you? God, I want nothing more than to know you as a loving father, as a loving friend, as my Lord and my savior? Am I walking in freedom or am I still held captive by the lies that I continue to tell myself? Am I turning towards your truth, Jesus? God, am I using the gifts that you have given me? Am I I just sitting on them, wasting my time? Or am I using these gifts to bring you glory, to build up and to edify and to encourage other people? And God, how can you use me to make a difference? So like scripture says, they will see those good works and bring glory to the Father in heaven. God, what do you want from me? Jesus, we want nothing more than you in this place. More of your presence, more of your spirit. We yield to you this morning. God, we want to be a people, a called out people that live a faithful life of obedience where we can make a difference. We thank you, Jesus. Would you stand as we sing this together?